Well, once again, welcome everybody to the Church on Seven Hills. If you would, go ahead and let's uh, hop right into the Scripture this morning. If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 through 58. Yes, I know it's 24 verses. I will move as quickly as I can. But if you would turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verses 35 through 58, 961 in the black Bible in front of you. 961 is the page number if you have one of our pew Bibles. Also, if you do not have a Bible and you would like one, you're welcome to grab one now or on your way out at our Welcome Center. We have a Bible for you just as a gift. As you're turning there, I want to ask you, what is it that gives us the hope that can sustain us in the difficulties of life? More specifically, for the grieving widow that's standing by the graveside, where is her hope? What does she have to hope for? For the mom and dad that lose a child at birth or with severe special needs or lose a child later in life or maybe you've lost a a very, very dear loved one, what is it that sustains you? Where do your thoughts go that give you hope? The answer is the future body, uh, 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 bodily resurrection. That this life is not all there is. That we will live in eternity. Whether with Jesus or, a, or apart from Jesus. But the hope is that for those that are in Christ, who have trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, have been made new, there is the hope of the bodily resurrection. Not just of Jesus that happened 2,000 years ago, but of the promised return of Christ when the dead in Christ will rise, when we receive glorified bodies and we are resurrected and reign with Him forever. That is what should sustain us and give us hope in the midst of life's most difficult circumstances. But guess what? Death is still difficult. For a lot of us, we try to ignore it, put it out of our minds. We dread it when we think of it, but... As the Apostle Paul is going to show us today, the first century church had a much different um, anticipation of coming death. Remember, they were persecuted constantly, and so they were looking to the bodily resurrection. They were looking to eternity with hopeful anticipation, not with the dread that we often think about it with. They didn't seek to avoid coming death, but they, they anticipated it with joy because they knew what God had in store for them in eternity was far better. doesn't mean that we hate this life. No, we seek to use it and maximize it for God's glory and enjoy it. But we should not look at death as the worst possibility in the future. It is the gateway to the joys of eternity. And so as we walk through these 24 verses today, I want to I show you four resurrection realities that I believe will prepare our hearts and minds for the future and help guide us for the present. Give us hopeful anticipation and understanding of what is to come. And guide us in the present, in the here, and the now. Number one, I'm going to walk through this text point by point. Number one, the resurrected body will be both familiar and unique. We always have questions and... and, um, uh, we're, you know, we're sort of intrigued with the details of what is to come. And Paul unpacks a little bit of this for us. 
Listen, we don't get every detail of how everything is going to happen and every single thing is going to look in eternity. Yes, we do get some. The book of Revelation is very good for that. The book of 1 Thessalonians talks more about that and we did a little bit about this here. And so Paul's going to unveil just a little bit for us. Let's read verses 35 through 41. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What, with what kind of body do they come? And here's Paul in his, in his excellent, gracious words. You foolish person. When you sow, does not, uh, what you sow does not come to life until it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as He has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earth is of another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For, for star differs from star in glory. Throughout chapter 15, Paul argued strongly for the resurrection of the body, but he knows that his teaching will spur two questions. How will God resurrect our bodies? And what does a resurrection body look like? In, in verse 35, he answers the questions that he poses from a hypothetical objector. Someone's going to say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? I'm sure you've wondered as I have. How's God going to resurrect our bodies from the dirt? How's God going to put all this back together? Let's take it to the extreme, okay? Let's push this really far. Let's say you're flying in a plane over the ocean, okay? Now listen, I'm not trying to jinx you, okay? This is a hypothetical story. And the plane explodes into a million pieces. And of course, since you're in the plane, your body goes into a million pieces as well. And all of you falls from the sky and is scattered over the ocean. Then a thousand different fish eat the different particles of your body. And then over time, all these fish are caught. And they're canned. And they're put into stores. And you're going to, you know, you say, you know what I could use for lunch? I could really use a good can of tuna fish for lunch today. You're going to go to the store and you're going to eat that tuna fish. And guess what? There might be a particle of somebody else that was spread across the ocean. Bon, bon appetit. How in the world is God going to put all that back together? Anybody hungry? How's God going to put all of that back together? You see the dilemma. What does Paul think of all of this? Verse 36. How foolish. How ignorant. How could you ask such questions? Remember, his audience is not people that are just asking questions out of curiosity. They're using these mental dilemmas like this to deny the bodily, uh, 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 the bodily resurrection of Christians. They're using it to object. And Paul's answer is that God is God. He's all-powerful. He can easily resurrect humans in any circumstance. Now listen to this, okay? 
Resurrection is not reconstruction. God does not need to start with your original body. Now, as I'm going to talk about, there will be some familiarity with your current body. I do believe you will, you'll probably look similar in some way. There's some continuity there. But God doesn't need your body to start with. That should put to end some of these questions about, well, what happens for those that are cremated? Or can I be an organ donor? Or these kinds of things, okay? You may say, well, I thought my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and needs to be handled with care. You're absolutely right. But after you're dead, the Spirit no longer dwells in the corpse. Whatever condition your body is in, when Jesus returns, will not be a challenge for Him. Whether you are living and breathing and get ushered into eternity and get your glorified body without actually dying, which there will be a few in that camp, or like the 99.99999% of all of us that will be dead and buried in the ground or in a, in a cremation can or spread across all the cans of tuna fish, God's not going to have a problem putting it all back together. Resurrection is not reconstruction. It is renewal. Since God created Adam from dirt, he won't, and dust, he's not going to have any problem resurrecting the dead no matter how decayed. He's, and he's not going to have any problem reforming someone who's been cremated. Paul points us to the Creator. He shows us that this concept has been hardwired into creation. Seen in planting and growth and in animals and humans and this understanding of the supernatural context we even see in nature. And Paul goes into this through a series of analogies. In order for a seed to grow, it must be sown. Right? What happens to that seed when it is sown? It dies. What goes in is this little tiny kernel. As it is buried, it dies in its current state. And in that death, it is brought into new life into a tree or into a plant or into, a, into an orange tree or, or, or whatever. When you look at a single seed, there is almost nothing remarkable about it. And if you didn't know the process of sowing, you would likely never assume that burying it could, could produce new and fundamentally different life. Now... Even with a plant, there is some continuity there. If you sow orange seeds or you sow certain seeds, you can expect that what comes out is not going to look like the seed, but it will be the plant of which the seed coincides. The same is true for us. What is buried will come out different, but there will be some continuity there. It will still be you. What is sown is related to what is grown. Yet the difference will be as dramatic as a kernel and a mature plant. Paul continues to point to God's creation. God makes things regular but not uniform. Birds are different than other animals. We are different than animals. Moons do not exist underwater. And fish do not live on dry land. 
Paul is saying, look at God's portfolio of work. It is diverse. It is beautiful. It is transformational. He is a master artist. We don't know exactly what our bodies are going to look like or exactly how God is going to resurrect us. But what we can be sure of is that it will be more awesome than anything we can imagine. Just look around at what He has already done. Our resurrected bodies will be familiar and unique. Better than anything we could possibly imagine. Number two, our resurrected or the resurrected body will be both new and improved. Similar to what I was talking about before, but a little, a little different. Verses 42 through, four, uh, uh, through 50. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable and what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. And the last Adam, this being Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. And then the spiritual, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, this being Jesus. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born in the image of man uh, of the man of the dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Our bodies for this earth are suitable, though not perfect. But they are of this world. The one, or your body right now, one day will have to be retired. It will go into the grave. It will go somewhere else. It will not go into eternity. You need a new, glorified body. Through man's rebellion, sin entered the world and it infects every aspect of creation. Even for the redeemed Christian, you still reside in sinful flesh. What encapsulates you is sinful. It has been infected with sinful disease. It cannot inherit the perfect kingdom of God. Something has to change. Something in you had to change spiritually and that's the regeneration of Christ and the righteousness of Christ that was given to you, so too will something have to change physically in order for you to be ushered into the perfect, imperishable eternity. We are dust. We are made of humanity. Dust made in the image and likeness of God, but dust nonetheless. Paul says we are perishable dishonorable or sinful and weak our bodies are woefully limited and so therefore since these bodies our lives are a fragile hopeless and empty existence apart from the life-giving God they have to be made new we cannot prevent our death any more than we could prepare for our birth we are completely incapable of reaching back up to a holy and perfect God. 
apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, when you die, you die. Your body is in the grave and your spirit experiences punishment for eternity apart from Christ. There's nothing that we can do from the grave to, to make any lick of difference with the holy and righteous God. In, in order for this world and, and the end of your living body to be all that there is, something had to happen. And that's where this last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes into play. Jesus came down from heaven experiencing our existence. He was born. He grew up. He self-limited His power so that He could experience all of humanity with us. He hungered. He experienced temptation though He did not sin. He experienced fatigue. He was rejected. He was dishonored. He was beaten and ultimately faced a Roman crucifixion. Like us, He too died physically was placed in a grave. But because the text says Jesus was not of this earth, He was not of the dust, He was not of the dirt like the first Adam, He rose again. He had heavenly citizenship. He was the Son of God and He is the Son of God. He rose again, conquering sin and death. Now He resides in it with a glorified body at the right hand of the Father. Making it possible for us too, all those in Christ, for the grave not to be the end, even of your physical existence. But that you too, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, have hope of a glorified, resurrected existence with Christ. Yes, you will exist spiritually with Christ at the moment of death, but even your body will reign with Christ one day in a glorified form. Because of what Jesus did. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to what? Your mortal bodies. Through His Spirit who dwells in you. Listen. After this life, we will not be ghosts or angels that live on, some, on this mystical plane. We will be with Jesus at His side, and when He returns, we will receive resurrected, glorified bodies. You will exist in the eternal state, in complete bodies with physical attributes, mind, appearance, and emotions. Jesus came and experienced this world in our bodies so that in Him, at His return, we can experience a new world, a new risen body, one that resembles now His. Glorified. Made new. What does the text tell us about this new body? Well, first of all, it's imperishable. Our risen body, though our first one dies, our risen body will live forever. It will live forever without any malady. It will exist eternally with no chance of decay. It will also be glorious. What does Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 say? But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ, verse 21. Who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body 
by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This body will also be powerful. We're going to be made to be instruments that magnify the glory of God and steward, experience his creation with him. Our risen bodies will have unlimited power necessary to accomplish the will of God without fatigue. I'm thankful for that. As a dad and a husband and a home, um, a homeowner whose boiler is not working and all kind of stuff going on right now, I, I'm happy that one day I'm not going to exist in this eternal fatigue and be exhausted mentally and spiritually all the time. And listen, I'm 33. I, I can't imagine later on in life how I'm going to feel. I'm looking forward to glory. I'm looking forward to that eternal state when I'm going to have just this endless energy like my son Nathan, who literally has to run around the house, laps, because he has so much energy, he feels like he has to get it out just to exist normally. I'm like, dude, how does that happen? Why don't we get that energy later on in life when we actually have to do something with it? But I'll take that up with God when I get, when I get there. We often say Jesus is the second Adam. This text actually gets it right, that Jesus is the last Adam. It, it's not as if Jesus came and righted all the wrongs of Adam, but yet there could be another Savior. No, Jesus was the last Adam. Where Adam failed and ate the fruit, Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life and died on the cross proving that He is God's Son, the Savior of the world, conquering sin and death so that all who are in faith in Him can be certain of eternity and resurrection with Him forever. Verse 50 says that it's explicitly clear. Flesh and blood, those who identify with Adam in this world alone cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Because something that is corrupt and decaying cannot inherit perfection. The singular question that matters for you now and forever is this. Do you bear the image of Adam and of this dusty world? Or do you bear the image of Christ who is the King of Heaven? Now listen, you're going to bear the, the image of Adam physically in some way now, right? Even in the spiritual sense, there is an element of of sinful flesh that, re, that exists in you. But do you also bear the new nature of King Jesus? In your truest sense, are you a child of Adam in that your identity, who you are in the truest of sense, in the here and the now, identifies with sin? Or is your identity, has it been made new by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you a citizen of this world in the truest and eternal sense? Or are you a citizen of heaven? Are you in Adam? Are you in Christ? Are you a saint of King Jesus who sins? Or are you only a sinner, a slave to sin? See the difference? I will never be perfect until I enter the eternal, or I, I enter the kingdom of heaven fully. But in the here and the now, where is your identity? In Adam 
in sin, a slave to sin, or in Christ, made new, hope in hopeful anticipation of when God will make you fully new when you meet Jesus. Paul says something has to change. You cannot be an Adam and be a citizen of the kingdom. We have to be made new spiritually, and your body will be made new physically. We'll have to have new eyes, new ears, new lips, a total change because these mortal, corruptible bodies just wouldn't fit in heaven. I've heard some say that you're going to exist in the exact same body in heaven that you will now. It's not true. The perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. For you and I to go to heaven in these bodies would be like entering a Model T car in the Indy 500. To put it another way, it would be like entering grandma in the 100 meter dash. It just doesn't fit. Now listen, some of your grandmothers may be wicked fast. But as a whole, it's just not the way it is. She'd be out of place, right? It's these young 22-year-old guys from Jamaica that are going to win the 100-meter dash, right? It just doesn't work. And the same will be true in eternity. God is going to transform your existence. So God says that Christians are going to be changed, fully new and improved. Let me ask you this. Do you know for sure that you are truly in Christ? Do you know for sure that today you can sit here with hopeful anticipation of what is to come because you know that the promises of God are yours in Christ? Number three, the resurrection promise means the coming death of death. Verses 51 through 57, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. Or, uh, yeah, sorry, will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that it is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you haven't noticed this morning, there's a lot in this text. It can be confusing. There's a lot there. A lot of it's like, what in the world is going on? And I recognize that there may be, even be some things that I say this morning that just go right over the head or they're just not clear, and I apologize for that. I'm trying to make clear that which is difficult. But let me sort of summarize what's going on here. As Paul is talking, he is saying that in the end, when Jesus will return, okay, we have the first coming of Christ at the, and um, uh, His work on the cross. We have the church age now, which we all reside in. It's that already, but not yet. Already the kingdom is here, but not fully yet. 
it will fully come when Jesus returns. And Paul says that it will be in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. He will return and transform us and all things and will usher in his eternal kingdom. As quickly as he spoke all things into creation. As quickly as he made you brand new at salvation. He will just as quickly come back in the twinkling of an eye at a time when none of us know about and will make all things new. Our resurrection will happen not just individually, but as the church. It will happen together. It says we all, not only each person, but we all together. This is what is called the rapture of the church where we will go and meet Jesus and be ushered into his kingdom. Just one more evidence that the Christian life is not ever meant to be lived in isolation. You won't even be raised in isolation. You'll be raised with the rest of your brothers and sisters in Christ. We are the church together. There's something missing when we are apart. Verses 54 through 57. A resurrection will happen because Jesus' victory over sin and death. When he returns, the dead are raised. The enemy, death is destroyed. And it's interesting that even now, death no longer is the victor. Jesus has already conquered death so that death now even becomes our slave. What do I mean by that? That you'll never die? No. But now, death is now directed by God in how he will actually use death to bring about something even greater than you are now. Death becomes the necessity to bring about even greater life. It, death is the slave of God in that he directs it. It is not the executioner. It has become the gardener transforming our seed-like and frail bodies into eternal, perfect, powerful bodies to reign with Christ forever. Jesus beat sin. He beat death. And He now offers each and every one of us a gift. A new life in a new body in a new coming world. Number four. Now I've been talking a lot about the future and you've been like, okay, okay, I'm not dead yet. Why do I need to know this stuff? Well, hopefully it will give you hope and perseverance and comfort that this is not all there is. But I love how Paul in verse 58, just this one verse at the end, does not leave us only thinking about the future. He gives us action for the present. The resurrection promise means powerful living until then. Verse 58, what does he say? If I can find the verse, I'll tell you what he says. Therefore... My beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Verse 58, he closes with this practical challenge. This whole truth of the resurrection of Christ and future resurrection has a practical challenge for believers. Now listen, every once in a while, I always try to teach you how to study your Bible by going verse by verse. That's why I do expository preaching. But here's like Bible study 101. Verse 58, what does it begin with? A therefore. Every time you see a therefore, ask this question. What is the therefore, therefore? 
It's not there just to start a new thought. It is there to connect what is about to come with what is already preceded. So every time you see a therefore, you know, I, I have to go backward and remember what was said in that previous section. That's exactly what Paul wants us to do. We're going to build on everything said in the previous 57 verses. All these glorious truths about the resurrection. Therefore, on the basis of this truth, be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that what you do in His name is not in vain. Listen to me. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior this morning, though you will die physically, you know in the here and the now, your life now has purpose. You don't exist in this meaningless existence for 80, 90, 100 years. You are a citizen of heaven, a child of the king, a slave to a new master who has promised eternity with him and who now gives you years, maybe even days, but hopefully years, to now live for him. The truth of the bodily resurrection of each and every one of us should give us purpose in the here and the now. What is coming will be great. And so therefore, since this is not all there is, I no longer have a hopeless life. But I have a life of purpose. This should spur in me perseverance. This word steadfast. It endures. We should, we should endure all things knowing that resurrection, renewal, awaits. It should give us confidence. Immovable, right? We stand firm in the gospel, knowing that in the gospel is life, eternal life. It gives us purpose. Always abounding. We are able to work hard for the gospel and know it's not in vain. Why? Because your work in the Lord matters. You don't serve a dead Savior, you serve a risen Savior who not only made you new, but can make each and every one of your friends new. Your life has matter. His mission for your life matters, and He invites you to join Him in it. Revelation 22, verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what He has done. Listen, He's talking to Christians. What you do now matters as believers because you will be held accountable and rewarded accordingly with heavenly reward. And best of all, you can know that your labor is not in vain. Listen, life is tough. Christian, life may even get tougher. It's not a cakewalk. It can be painful. But here's what Paul is telling us. Just be faithful. Be faithful. We can be confident that in human terms, it's all going to pan out. God's in control. He will one day make all things new. He will make it all right. You now be faithful. Stand firm with confidence in Him. It's going to pay off. The best is yet to come. And God can and, can and will use you for His glory when you're simply faithful. Even when you least expect it. 
as I close today, I read this illustration this week from another pastor. I thought it was good. A woman was diagnosed with a terminal illness and had been given three months to live. As she was getting her things in order, she contacted her pastor and asked him to come to her house and discuss some of her final wishes. She told him which songs she wanted sung at her funeral service, what scriptures she would like read, what outfit she wanted to be buried in. She requested to be buried with her favorite Bible. As the pastor prepared to leave, the woman suddenly remembered something. She said, oh, pastor, there's one more thing, and do not forget this. He says, what's that? This is very important. I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. The pastor stood looking at the woman and not knowing quite what to say, the woman explained, in all my years of attending church socials and potluck dinners, when the dishes of the main course were being cleared, someone would inevitably lean over and say, keep your fork. The best is yet to come. It was my favorite part of the meal because I I knew something better was coming like chocolate cake or my favorite deep dish apple pie. So when people see me in the casket with a fork in my right hand and they ask you, what's the fork for? I want you to tell them the best is yet to come. This woman got it right. If you know Christ as Savior, then be reminded that this is not your best life now. I don't care how many authors tell you that. Stop trying to soak up maximum human pleasure. Nor go in the opposite direction and buckle with depression or hopelessness in the midst of trial, but live with a new, righted, heavenly perspective. With hopeful anticipation as though you truly believe that the best is yet to come. Let me encourage you, Christian, live with the end in mind. Live as though what Jesus says, that He can return in a twinkling of an eye and usher all things new. Live with the end in mind. That Jesus can return at any moment and restore you fully and be with you forever. Let me encourage you also if you're here today and what I described is not you because you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. What He says is true. He will return in the twinkling of an eye. It will be without warning. He will separate those who know Him and those who don't know Him. Those who know Him will be with Him forever. Those who do not know Him will not be with Him and will experience punishment. That does not need to be you. Because what Jesus did on the cross was not just for the person sitting next to you. It was for all. The newness that Jesus offers is not just for your Christian friend. It's offered for you as well. And Jesus doesn't ask you to earn it through all of these things that you must do in order to become right in His sight. That cannot happen. That which is unholy cannot in and of itself become holy. And so that's why Jesus came. And He brought the newness of life because He paid for everything on the cross and conquering sin and death. So now that death no longer has to reign in your life, but you can receive new life. All He asks 
is for repentance and faith. That you surrender to him as your Lord. Saying, I'm going to trust in what Jesus did, not in what I can do. I believe that Jesus makes all things new. I can't make anything new. And I believe that when Jesus returns, he can and will make me completely new. And you can be with him in eternity. If that's unclear to you today, but you have questions about that, I would love to talk with you after service. Our, our other elders would love to talk with you after service. Our elders' wives would love to talk and pray with you after service. If you have any questions, you just want prayer, you want somebody to talk to, come see one of us. I would love, none of us would love anything more but to sit and talk about Jesus with you. And if you need help finding someone, come see me. It'll either be me or I will direct you either to an elder or an elder's wife or, or another mature believer in our church. There's nothing I would like to talk with you more about than the newness of life in Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word today. Lord, I pray that as I was moving quickly today and that there was a lot of content, that the unclear will be made clear. If not through me, Father, Lord, I pray that you would write all the, all the, uh, all the things that were unclear in me today, that you would make them clear. That your word would jump out and touch each and every person here today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.